Ready graphics? Ready theme? I'm Jesse Mullins. And I'm Lauren Milberger. And this is FYI, the Murphy Brown Podcast. Let's talk about the amazing shoulder pads of everyone in that office. I have actually fondled an Emmy before. The 90s are back in many ways. I have no respect for anyone but myself. (laughs) And that's really shaky. And for your information tonight, we'll be speaking about season one, episode one, Respect. Respect won the Emmy for best writing. The only first draft to win. Because of the writer's strike. hey And for any people who don't know what that means, when there's a writer's strike, you can't write because you're on strike. Yep. So Diane English, who wrote this episode, and it was originally entitled Don't Ask, eventually became respect when they added the Aretha Franklin song at the beginning, because there was a theme song originally that was written, um, could not change one word. Just sort of amazing. Yeah. Because it's a great script. It's wonderful, honestly. Uh, So it was written by Diane English. It was directed by Barnett Kalman. And it aired November 14th of 1988. So let's start working our way through this episode. We start with a cold open. It's a montage of Murphy's Magazine covers. And I went through and looked at this. We have Us Weekly. We have Time. We have Life. Newsweek. The Star Examiner, where they say she has Bigfoot's baby. Uh, we have Esquire asking who is mad enough for Murphy Brown. <laughs> and People Magazine. Isn't it funny, it, looking at this episode with the Us Weekly, mm-hmm. I just have these memories of like, oh, remember when Us Weekly was like not a tabloid? No, it was like <laughs> legit. People don't believe me. No, because I, it hasn't been that for Ages. Ages. But it was, I mean, that's why they show it in this open. I mean, granted, also, as we will talk about, Murphy was also a bit of tabloid fodder. But there's a reason that was one of the covers. So we cut to Murphy's colleagues on the news magazine, her show, FYI. You may have heard of it. Maybe. We have her best friend, Frank Fontana, and senior anchor Jim Dial. And they're discussing her with her temporary replacement, former Miss America, Corky Sherwood. And that is delightful. I love the fact that the only person wearing a bright color in the entire set is Corky. Oh, because it fits her character. Yeah. She's wearing a bright teal. What I love about this opening scene is it's an example of why it won the Emmy. I mean, and it's a great pilot. Like, you need to have... The hardest thing, I think, in a pilot is having exposition mm-hmm. uh, without it sounding like, we are now giving exposition. Oh, it's brilliantly crafted because it's exactly what you do at a water cooler. Yeah. I was just chatting. They know she's, oh, coming, she's back. coming back. They're reading an article on her. They're taking bets, which then mm-hmm. will become sort of a thematic thing throughout the episode. So many bets this episode. So many bets, but what reminded me is that in the first couple of seasons, I forget how far it goes, Corky only has a checkbook. Yes. It's so specific. <laughs> it's and so it says great. it says something really specific about during that time period. Mm-hmm. But who has a checkbook? Whereas now that would be a completely different implication of somebody writing out checks, but oh yeah. oh Corky. It's 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 so specific like to character. And I think that's also what's important too, is that this is only I was going to say a 30-minute show, but without commercials, it's mm-hmm. probably more like 25. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, nowadays, sitcoms are even shorter. Um, so you have a small amount of time to be able to introduce the characters mm-hmm. and let us know who they are. And that particular line is just like, oh, that's who Quirky is. Oh, you immediately know. She's wearing bright teal. Every, I mean, let's talk about the amazing shoulder pads of everyone in that office. It's a lot of shoulder pads. So many. I love it. As somebody yeah. with uh, sloping shoulders, I love that. Whereas I, I am a petite person and do not enjoy the shoulder pads. I just, I want that shape badly and I'm, I'm excited it's back with a vengeance. No, so it's not good. 
like, shh, don't worry about it. Corky has a bright suit. A bright suit. She has a pink mug with her name on it. We know everything about her. We are listening to Jim make a bet with Frank and the entire office, actually, that Murphy's month at the Betty Ford Clinic for cigarettes and alcohol will leave her un- an unchanged pain in the butt. And with that, you know what types of friends they are. Mm-hmm. You know the playful quality of their, their banter. You know everything you probably need to know about Murphy walking into this. Yeah. And um, you also get a little uh, time capsule of the Betty Ford Clinic. And you find out, uh, and they're correcting the the article about her, um, saying that she stood up Warren Beatty and not the other way around. Which is a big deal. Like, uh, for some people who may not remember, before Warren Beatty was a family man. Yes. <laughs> a lot of people who uh, are older are laughing right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, some people may not realize this, but Warren Beatty was known for being a bit of a playboy. A little bit. He was the playboy. So we're just in- reading a really interesting quote from him talking about the fact that it's physically impossible for him to have. However, there's an ongoing rumor that Warren Beatty betted 13,000 women. And which, I mean, granted, he... He was with a lot of notable women. Yeah, he was known for usually dating his co-stars. Yes, which, you know, now everyone's used to. <laughs> but at the time, I mean, this was still the time of the concept of a, a decent nuclear family. It was it was a big deal that he did this. And so the idea that that Murphy turned him down, that she stood him up. That's that's sen- a sense of her character. Yes, yes. She, she makes her own choices. Uh, this is one of the points where one of my favorite jokes of the episode happens. Oh, what is it, Jesse? When Corky, who is just pretty and and yapping away to herself, and nobody's listening to Corky, which, oh, poor Corky, <laughs> just talking to herself. Everyone else is ignoring her. And she's she's talking about Miss America because she keeps bringing up. You should mention that she was a Miss America by default. Yes. Which is hysterical. And- because she's talking about the other girl and she has this great line which is when she said she loved animals no one took her seriously i love that sweet corky gets the bestiality joke <laughs> in the first couple minutes but what's great is that like i feel like in someone else's hands that joke would not be as funny because like faith ford like goes up at the end oh it's perfect and she's just like no one took her seriously and like that's not really a line reading but like it I just sort of love that it's the way that she says it that she punches the end of the joke where you're like, oh, God. Oh, I could talk for hours. Faith Ford's choices with Corky, you can't help but love her. And the big smile on her face about everything. It's just just, speaking her truth, man. So then Murphy gets off the elevator. She has arrived. Everyone is tense. But Murphy is polite (laughs) and upbeat. And she's walking through. She's, by the way, also wearing blue, but a, a royal blue. As oh, our I queen. just thought of something. I'm hmm. contrast, maybe there. Maybe, blue, maybe something we're gonna see blue. again later down the road. Oh, spoiler! And then she goes into her office, and everyone's like, "Oh my gosh, I guess she actually has made the change." And they're all confused, paying each other back. And then we hear the beautiful dulcet tones of Murphy screaming. One of my favorite sounds. <laughs> it's so wonderful <laughs> who touched miami <laughs> well, i just say that farther back who touched miami <laughs> i love frank i love the fact that he's like yeah she's back oh, oh yeah. i lost i have to give people my money now yep, it's such tried. a great human reaction he's like i love my friend but oh my money he tried to believe in her yeah <laughs> uh 
I, I think I've mentioned this before to you, Jesse, but uh, I uh, she accuses Frank of fondling the Emmy, and I have actually fondled an Emmy before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was lovely. Well, we, I mean, it looks so shadeful. We shared, shadeful? A, shared a moment. Sure. I mean, it's, it's you know, Emmys have been my dream. Um, I once made uh, an Emmy in the sand at the beach as a child. I think no one is surprised if they listened to our first episode. Uh, so uh, I went to the Actor Studio Drama School and we got to go to the edit session for, uh, maybe I shouldn't say where I did this, um, for Inside the Actor Studio and there was an Emmy and I, I had to touch it. <laughs> uh, I don't usually if do it's that. there. Yeah, and I was afraid if I picked it up, that would be a problem. So I, I thought, well, I, I want to experience it. So so like a, a blind person, since I knew I couldn't pick it up or I was afraid to pick it up and get in trouble, I just put my hand sort of all around it as if I couldn't see it and I wanted to. <laughs> just a blind woman reaching for an Emmy. Exactly. Yeah, and I, and I realized, oh, I have just fondled an Emmy. <laughs> it's beautiful. Well, and this is such a great moment because Frank sexualizes the Emmy a female form and Murphy's response. And what I love about the show is her response is to quote to him saying, thank you for sending the Chippendales calendar. Mr. March got me through August. The response to the sexualizing of a female statue is to then sexualize a Chippendale. Well, what I also love is that shows so much about their relationship. Yeah. You know, it's so rare to see a male female friendship, a truly and, platonic one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And so it just shows the fact that they're so comfortable in their relationship that it, there's not this sort of like, oh, well, I don't feel comfortable sending her naked men. No, she's my bud. She's going to need it. Yeah. And it's I very just, supportive. It's sex positive and I love it. It is. And mm-hmm. so I just, I, I love that. At this point, while she's talking to Frank, she confesses that she is sober. However, the clinic will never rid her of her addiction to number two soft pencils. Which I love. Fun fact, I don't know who took art class growing up art courses but a number two soft pencil is a very specific type of graphite which i did not know i'm a nerd so if you're looking at your traditional pencils Mm -hmm. they run from an h scale to a b scale and h you can just assume stands for hard b is your softer lead Normally, a, a number two pencil is kind of in the middle of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. But the fact that she specifically says a number two soft pencil, I mean, she likes a pencil with a little chew in it. Imagine the, the harder the lead, the, the lighter the line. So the softer you get, the darker. So more of a charcoal type thing. So she has a very specific flavor and palette for her pencils. Interesting. And I appreciate that about her. Never say you never learned anything on the Murphy Brown podcast. Heyo, full of trivia. So as she's settling back into her new world she meets her new boss executive producer miles silverberg miles oh miles miles he's uh, not what she was expecting no let's put it that way she's a little hung up on his age and his credentials if they're actually credible and we'll learn later on that arvin who he replaced was older than murphy more of a father figure mm-hmm. type character so this is a bit jarring i mean murphy basically what they're setting up is murphy comes back from a month at the betty ford clinic which for those of you who might not be aware the betty ford clinic is a, a pretty famous rehab center it housed people like Jerry Lee Lewis, Anna Nicole Smith, Lindsay Lohan, Ozzy Osbourne, Elizabeth Taylor, Steven Tyler, Johnny Cash, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Still, you know, a, a notable reference to this day. Uh, but she left for a month. That was all. She's come back, and now she was replaced by a Miss America pageant 
contestant default winner that is kind of the opposite of everything she has she believes she has worked to become mm-hmm. and her new boss is to her a fetus <laughs> and she she talks about uh, she has that great line about um do you even know who the Shirelles are the Ronettes the Delphonics because as we will talk about Motown's very important to Murphy mm-hmm. but he's he's a baby face yeah so she goes into her office and she while meeting him, is trying to rid herself of her habits. Oh, I love this. It's such a great detail. She's just pulling full cigarette case- cartons out. Not not individual cigarette boxes, cartons. but the cartons of cigarettes that she has taped everywhere. My grandmother had cartons. Oh, yeah. I, I, I remember going to college and the people I knew who smoked in North Dakota just bought by the carton Ugh. and it freaks me out. Um, it's just, it's so many. Um <laughs> Don't smoke, kids. Save your lungs. But yeah, my, she's my grand. Sorry. Oh no, go ahead. My grandfather was on oxygen, so oof. That's why I cannot stand cigarettes for many reasons. But continue. So she's ridding her office of this, and as she's talking to him, and you just see that all. What I love about what you know, Candace Bergen is is becoming this character throughout this episode. Uh, we said earlier, you can even hear Murphy down the line in her voice already in this pilot episode. Yeah. But I see it physically coming to manifesting in her as she's ripping these boxes out because as she's doing this he's telling her that Corky's here to stay not even the what's also interesting about this scene is that um you see a lot the way that Candace Bergen walks Mm -hmm. and um the director Barnett Kelman said that he feels that Candace Bergen walks like Groucho oh gosh (laughs) you see it now right that is so specific (laughs) and it's so true but but particularly for some reason, like going back and watching, I was like, oh, I see it in this scene. Mm-hmm. I totally see it. It's right there. It's what I love is it's this perfect dichotomy of this very classically feminine beauty in this very typically masculine gestural language. It, it it's it's brilliant. She's just she's what is Murphy. Well, one of the sort of. Uh buzz lines I wanted to say buzzwords but I feel like it's buzz line mm-hmm. as in like buzzword and tagline mm-hmm. is uh, Diane would say oh well, well she's Mike Wallace in a dress yes yes and that that definitely reminded me of what you just said yes and as we're again in a great in a great form of exposition we're learning a little bit more about Corky I realize that's another one of my favorite lines not mm-hmm. my absolute favorite line but and it's the way also the delivery is mm-hmm. uh Corky Sherwood comes out and organizes a closet. Like, that's Corky's talent. She organized a closet. It was just so precious. And there, it's precious. It's also setting you up to make assumptions about this character, which is something that will be delved into later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's setting up Corky as this this foil to Murphy. And now Murphy has to go up against the, the, exact, the exact stereotype that she has been working against mm-hmm. for so long. And what that's going to mean, because now she can't run away from it. And as I, this is something I've said to you, uh, upon rewatching this series with this in mind, I've, my original opinions of Corky have changed. Oh, they have totally changed for me too. And I just, I'm, I'm so fascinated watching this unfold, even in these preliminary moments of what we're supposed to think and what is actually being explored with this character and especially with the way that Faith Ford plays it. Yeah, I feel like, and I always loved, I always loved Corky. It's not that mm-hmm. I didn't like Corky, but I definitely was sort of Murphy's point of view when mm-hmm. she first meets her. And now in Murphy's place, oddly enough, mm-hmm. having gone through Corky's journey myself, mm-hmm. 
I see her so differently. I do. She's and I'm really trying. It's not her fault. So Miles has informed Murphy that Corky is joining FYI permanently. This infuriates her more. And Corky, at the worst time possible, enters to introduce herself. And she's bless trying to show off her abilities to Murphy by asking Miles how to pronounce Shiite. Which is another of my favorite jokes, mm-hmm. although not my my absolute favorite joke. Um, what's interesting is that uh, I think it's on the commentary on the DVD. I'm not sure, but but Candace Bergen said that that was such a great joke because Shiite was not really known as much no. then as it was known now. I know it took me a while to get that joke. That may have been where I learned the term. Maybe. As a kid. I, mean, I feel like that's probably the first place it would have been present in front of me. I mean, we're coming up to my favorite joke. Should I just I mention mean, it? Go for it. Okay. So another description about so Corky you know does the as you mentioned you know introduce herself and how much she admires Murphy and then she she leaves and Miles thinks this is so great and he's like yeah look you know and she goes she thinks Camus is a soap uh, which is what uh, many writers would call a 10% or only 10% people would get that joke. Oh, yeah, but it's worth it for those of us who do. <laughs> but here's a story about me getting that joke and it becoming my favorite joke. Is So I did not see the pilot till probably I was about like 15 or 16 at the Paley Center mm-hmm. because I came into it in the second season. Uh, and I didn't get the joke at the time. And then I remember being in English class in high school and then passing out the new book we're going to read, which was The Stranger. <laughs> Oh my god! By Camus, and I start laughing because all of a sudden I got the joke because I used um, a soap. Oh god, what's the name of it? Um, Caress, I think, or something. Oh, yeah, yeah they so body I, wash and stuff now. Yeah, so I, I, I was like, I get that it's like a joke, maybe on like it's a joke on Caress, but something else. So like I got that it was sort of referencing something, and it probably isn't. It's just Camus. Um, but uh, I just yeah started laughing in English class because well, I, I mean, got it. The great thing about the structures, especially in this time period of sitcoms, is you know when something's supposed to be a joke. That's true. So you knew it was supposed to be a joke. You just weren't exactly sure about the reference. And I just love how smart it is and mm-hmm. how specific it is. Um, and I, uh, and on another note, I love the fact that it took me so long to get it <laughs> and to like actually be like taught like, oh. That shows that Murphy is with you at a cellular level. It, well, we all have, I think we've established that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and to, to Candace Bergen's credit, it, her delivery, if you were in that so 90% who didn't get it, you still knew that that was, you knew what kind of put down it was. Yeah. No, it was really good. So we, we leave the office. Uh, or no, no, I'm sorry, we're still in the office. But the only thing good that happens to Murphy in this moment is she finds out that Miles got her an interview with Bobby Powell. And she needs to buy tampons. And she needs to buy tampons. Interesting fact about that that I found out. Um, Diane English and, um, I hope I say her name right, Corby Siamis, who was a writer on the show. Uh, and I always wasn't sure if I was saying her name correctly, so I'm sorry if I have. Uh love tampon jokes apparently and Candace Bergen hates tampon jokes do you like tampon jokes I mean I don't I don't think of them as a particular uh category of jokes that I am pro or against I think it's the context that matters yeah I'm not a huge fan of them I don't know or why the, the cotex that matters yeah but come on I, that was good that was come on good. sorry that was really good uh but what I wanted to say was Oh, it took me a second to get that. Um, <laughs> is that what I love about having that joke in the pilot 
is that one of my uh, sort of issues is later on in the seasons, I feel like Murphy sort of lost her femininity mm-hmm. a bit. Not that having tampons are feminine, but it's sort of the kind of joke that a man wouldn't write. Oh, exactly. And it's when we lo- when we start with jokes like that and we lose them, it seems to be like female friends. Exactly. Like, I love it's that she's just frank, but like yeah. late, as we get later on into the season, she stops having female friends. We start we stop actively addressing the fact that she's female. Yeah. Um, which get, is not necessarily a bad thing because it shouldn't just be about her gender, but it was nice to have those kinds of references, especially like that because the joke was great. Yeah. However, what we were referencing, Murphy's not pleased that she needs tampons, but the <laughs> only thing that pleases her in this moment is that Miles got her an interview with Bobby Powell. He is the latest scandal. He's accused of sleeping with Gwen Lansing, who is running for vice president. And this references, Lauren, a, a real scandal headline story that was happening at the time. Yes. So for anyone who is not familiar, so this is based, although the switching the gender, on uh, Donna Rice and Gary Hart. Gary Hart was the front runner in the presidential election in 1987. Eventually, um, that went to Michael Dukakis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Gary Hart was um, found to be having an affair, although I think they still claim that they wasn't, with uh, Donna Rice. There was a picture of uh, uh, her sitting on his lap. And there's a picture in this mm-hmm. that they talk about. It's not as, you know, racy. It's just, I think, them like looking at each other. But it definitely references. Totally referencing the yeah, picture. That picture. Yeah. They said they were just friends. Um, and then I also think the fact that it's a woman running for president, or vice president, excuse me, is also probably based on Geraldine Ferraro, who at the time was the only woman in 1984 who had run for vice president. Yeah. So this was a sort of a new thing. It's a couple things folded in yeah. together. Um, I read something very briefly, and I don't know necessarily if it's true because I haven't read it in more than one source mm-hmm. that in the original pilot and if someone out there can correct me like someone involved in the show please do um, <laughs> that it was actually uh, a man and a woman like Donna and Gary and that it was suggested that she reverse it I love it I love that it's reversed I love that it's reversed too and it, it, it fits into a lot of the themes of Murphy Brown that this is a woman who's running for vice yeah. president and um, I think it's a really good sort of change and then also you don't have to worry about the being compared to the exact parallels to it. Exactly. You can, because the genders are reversed, you have a little bit more room to adjust the details. And also, I hope that it was a suggestion because you can examine a different dynamic. Yeah, Um, exactly. So the only caveat is that Miles got her an interview only under the condition that she not ask him the big question of if he's sleeping with Gwen Which is what is the point. That's... That's the point. And so Murphy's like, no, there's no way I'm going to do it if I can't do that. That's the that's the question. We also um, didn't mention that we got to meet Murphy's first secretary. Oh, we did get to meet yeah. Murphy's... Murphy. So for those of you who are of the, uh, the younger demographic, think of Murphy's secretaries as Emily Gilmore's maids. Oh, that's a good example. Thank you. It's a... Uh, there, there are many. There are many and varied. Her name is Sherry French, and she is played by, and I hope I say this name correctly, Mary Kodorit, um, who many people who are familiar with sitcoms in the 80s may know her from um, Three's a Crowd, which was the spinoff of Three's Company. Mm-hmm. Um, she was John Ritter's live-in girlfriend, Vicki Bradford. She's also been on Love Boat, ER, Night Court, um, but she's a familiar face. And she, uh, the thing that really got me was she, she said that Murphy's last secretary left to sell for Herbalite. Oh. Which is such a, like, specific, like, 
80s reference, I feel. Yeah. But it's still around. It is. Someone tried to get me into it. The Great Pyramid of Herbalife. It's a huge pyramid scheme. They're coming back. The 90s are back in many ways. Apparently. And one of them is pyramid scheme. But continue. So anyway, yes, Murphy agrees to meet with Bobby later that day because Corky agreed with her that she shouldn't. So immediately Murphy's like, no, I will. And that Jane Polly competition might it's steal the story. The big J. The big J. So then we get to Phil's and we meet Phil. Phil. It's the watering hole. It's uh, It's got a couple jokes that, that carry on for a while. It's very dark inside and you always feel like you're going there kind of at happy hour. But when people enter, it's clearly daylight. The light comes in and everyone shouts, close the door. That goes on for a little while. We see little Bobby Powell, who is played by the lovely Tony Goldwyn. Who some people may know from a little show called Scandal. A show called Scandal. Or the movie Ghost. Oh, Tony Goldwyn. Also, fun fact, the voice of Tarzan in huh. Disney's Tarzan. I did not know that. Once you know that and you watch, you're like, oh my gosh, Fitz, what are you doing? <laughs> so he's a little baby in this. And he is, he's Tony Goldwyn at his best. He is charming. He's affable. And you can see Murphy wanting to believe him. However, she's a she's a hardened journalist and she knows that people have pretty faces. He's not what she figured. And big part of that is she asks him the question in this private meeting. And the entire bar does this theatrical just lean in to hear it. And what I love is what Tony Goldwyn does with his responses. The thing that actually gets her is the moment he mentions dignity and integrity and dignity in the public eye. Well, he says, do you think America has the right to know everything? And... It's so prevalent today. Good Lord, are we talking about that even more? That line really got me. Mm -hmm. I was like, the whole like theme of this episode is so relevant today. It makes me believe him. The second he says that, I... Well, Murphy agrees. She's mm -hmm. like, no. Because she just got out of that. Yeah. And is in it. And has mm -hmm. been in it for most of her adult life, which mm -hmm. we will soon find out that mm -hmm. she's been famous. Yep. And it's no one's business. And... So she agrees to interview him. And the second she does, we see yet another series of bets being passed in the background at Phil's. <laughs> and is this when we meet our second? Yes. Our second this secretary? When we, when we meet Robert. Robert. And, and I also love is that Murphy is playing with the lighter. Mm -hmm. like, these are very specific things that like sort of show, uh, I mean, later on um, when there's a flashback, uh, Murphy takes the, uh, when she's still drinking, she takes the ice cubes out of the glass, which is like a thing. Like, there's just mm -hmm. little things that, mm -hmm. like, sort of pinpoint to, to what she's doing. Um, and that's when we she first gets a call from Eldon. Of course, we don't know it's Eldon at the time. No, we don't. We just know that she's trying to get a hold of this house painter who should be done by now and isn't answering any well, of her He hasn't even arrived yet. Yes. Um, it was supposed to be done while she was gone, right? Yeah, that's the interesting thing. Is She said, two weeks ago, I left the keys with my neighbor. But she was at Betty Ford. She must have left the keys when she went to Betty Ford and had arranged for this, like, two weeks ago, period. I left the keys with my neighbor, period. Well, here's the thing, though, and this is sort of a little theory that mm. I would like to throw out now. I think she snuck out, dug her mm. way out. No, 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 no. So I've always wondered, like, you're in rehab and you decide to paint your kitchen? So I always sort of wondered, like, there has to be a reason for that. I mean, obviously, yes, in the script, you need a reason for the painter to come so you can add Eldon. But uh, I came up with my own sort of, like, you know, um, backstory or... Did you write a fan fiction? I did not write a fan fiction. Dang it. I was hoping you were going to suddenly pull out, like, a spiral-bound notebook and start reading this to me. Never mind, continue. It was a cold day. <laughs> it was a cold um, day. So what if... 
Murphy wrecked her kitchen in a blackout. Oh, I 100% believe that happened. And what I sort of love about that is, so redoing the kitchen sort of is also about her redoing her life. It's like a visual metaphor for what's happening in Murphy right now mm-hmm. is she will, because we'll find out later that, you know, she she was taken to rehab like very quickly. Oh, yeah. Jim drove her across country. I love that Jim did I know. That. It happened that night. We'll find out that later in the season. Yeah. I hope that's not a spoiler for anybody. Guys, she um, went to rehab. Shocker. Sorry, later in this series, not this season. <laughs> so I kind of made up my own sort of like headcanon in my head that mm-hmm. like that's what happened because maybe as a writer or just like I like to take plot bunnies sometimes and go like, well, that doesn't make sense. How a does this make sense bunny? to me? Isn't that what they say online? Plot bunnies? I'm not cool. I just love that. It makes me think <laughs> of like a little dust bunny of information. I hope I'm saying it right. Um, I so don't care if you are. Let, let us know on the internet if you think that that works for you guys. But and there, even if you do correct us, we're not going to listen. I don't know if they like the idea. Like, I made it up. I don't think that that's actually what Diane English was thinking of. Um, but so that's my little headcanon that, that that's, you know, so she needs to get it done because it will mm-hmm. represent sort of the start of her new life. Yes, it's a fresh start. Mm-hmm. And uh, spoiler for in a few minutes, it is not the fresh start she was expecting. Nope. So Murphy is concerned that she has lost her edge now that she's sober. And I just want to talk a little bit about the second secretary. It's Aww. played by Charlie Lang. Charlie Lang. I love him. He's he's my little, like, six degrees of Charlie Lang, where he's in some of my favorite things. He is Congressman Skinner from West Wing. Mm-hmm. He is in an episode of Murder, She Wrote. He's in an episode of Star Trek. The Next Generation? Next Generation. And, and he's one of the only people to recur as a yes. secretary. Charlie, you did it. You're the coolest. And he has one of my favorite lines that I quote in life. I, I just realized, I think it's not this episode. I think it's Sign, Seal, Deliver, mm. where he goes, I'm healing. <laughs> I love Charlie. It's just, um, and there's so many great jokes mm. about him, you know, in general throughout the se- I mean, he's in three episodes, mm-hmm. but still, of like, you know, maybe you should go back to the Olympics. It's less stressful. <laughs> oh, sweet Robert. Mm. You are stronger than all of us. Yes. So very quickly, we are at the broadcast, and she's now on her third secretary. <laughs> and this is played by the lovely Kathleen Freeman. Oh, Kathleen Freeman. Mrs. Caldwell, the secretary. She's been in eight Jerry Lewis films. She was in The Full Monty on Broadway, which mm-hmm. she was Tony nominated for. Or unfortunately, she passed away while she was doing it. She's one of those faces that is just in everything. I she mean, is. You know her. Even if you don't know the name, you know who we're talking she's about. She's one of my favorite parts of Singing in the Rain. Oh. I forgot about that. And I can't stand him. And I can't stand him. And I can't stand him. <laughs> She's so talented. She's the one that is teaching her, mm-hmm. if anyone mm-hmm. has not seen Singing in the Rain. <laughs> You got a special sneak peek yeah. right here. So she's sort of the sweet secretary of like, I'm just kind of old and I don't know anything. And mm-hmm. Murphy, it's just, it just seems like... Just can't take it. <laughs> but also just like feels like she can't fire her because she's a sweet old lady. Yeah, exactly. But don't worry, guys. She figures it out. She doesn't know who Gaddafi is, so... Yeah, some, some Momar something. Momar something. <laughs> oh, oh, sweet Mrs. Caldwell. And uh, she's worried she lost her edge. She's getting ready for this this interview. And then Bobby comes in with his entourage. Oh, Bobby. And she sees the real man there. She sees what's going on. She sees the handling. And she immediately knows that she was played in Phil's. And you see that. You see that all on Candace Bergen's face. But also, Murphy knew. She called him out at the beginning. And mm-hmm. then she's sort of like... And she was like, oh, oh the, okay. the dignity did a ding-ding on her heart. 
But her instinct was correct. Mm -hmm. And he is uh, clearly uh, playing it for the, the fame. So she goes against Miles and she asks him the question. And then everyone takes bets that they are Every, right. Yep, everyone was right. They're is like, it, she's going to do it. Is my, is my memory correct? Does she kind of like lean back a little bit? Yes, like, she does that. Like, I'm back. Mm-hmm. I got it. And can we talk about the red outfits? My oh. favorite red outfit. It's, I mean, it's in our logo. We love that red. Yeah. And um, I, I thought it was this episode when I watched it, but it's actually, I think, later on is that it's referred to as her red huntress outfit. Yes. It's, it's like, so good. It's a, it's a hunting outfit. Oh, I just love it. She looks great in it. Mm-hmm. It's it's fantastic. And then I also love that she has sort of a, a great sort of moment with Miles. Oh, yeah. He's freaking out. He thinks he's going to lose his job. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I like you, kid. It's going to be okay. It's fine. And she promises to teach him about Motown. Yes. And also a reference that this is the one joke I feel like certain people might not get anymore. The raisins. The raisin joke. Yeah. So uh, there was a commercial for the California Raisins to, I heard it through the grapevine, in which these like, were they animation or claymation? They're claymation, right? Claymation. Okay. Um, it's been a while. They may have eventually animated They may have them. been at the time when they had, they eventually became animated. But they were claymation, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I had the toys. Yeah, we'll have to go back yeah. and watch it. Um, oh my god, you had the toys? I totally did. Wow. I'm sure they're worth like $30,000, except I played with them in the bathtub. You don't need to know that. No, I don't. Pretty much as Murphy says to Miles, you know, those raisins didn't invent that song. <laughs> Which, by the way, this just reminded me. So, there was a soundtrack that I had before I saw the pilot. Amazing. And there is a, this soundbite is like one of the tracks on the, the CD that, so I knew this line before, like years before I saw this episode. That's so cool. So it's like it melted into my brain, this line, because it would be one of the tracks and then all of a sudden Get Ready would start to play. Oh, also we didn't mention that there is a line, because we're gonna get to Eldon in a second, mm. that when she's talking to Eldon on the phone is he asks her if she knows Heather Locklear. Oh, yeah. Which is funny because that was who they originally wanted to be Murphy. Oh, my gosh. I forgot about that. They were like, can't she maybe be 30 instead of 40? And and maybe she can play, be played by Heather Locklear. Diane was like, no. And could she not go to Betty Ford? Could she be, like, coming home from a spa? No, that's a different... Uh, that's, that's a different... Yeah, that's like, you know, I don't want a hamburger. Can I have a tuna sandwich? Mm. And actually, instead of a bun, can I have rye bread? And instead of rye bread, I actually mean, like, a tossed salad. And, yeah, but no tuna in it. I would... No. And no, no burger. Actually, just, like, some lettuce would be great. And one piece of rice. You just want white rice, of course, because we have to be as bland as possible. So you want a hamburger? Yes, I want a hamburger. Yes, a hamburger, duh. So this wonderful segue from her talking about I'll teach you about Motown, we go home and we get to see Murphy in her element. I love this townhouse so much. Oh, okay, first of all, where is this townhouse? It's in Georgetown, perfect, of course. And she walks in and she's opening her mail and she flips on the music. And we've got another Aretha Franklin classic written by Carole King. I love how she looks at it. So she turns it on mm-hmm. and then she just kind of turns and looks at it with this like loving look like, oh. It's her buddy. Yeah, exactly. Like when you see someone you haven't seen in a long time. And it's perfect because out of that feeling we get natural woman. And then Murphy sings. Oh. This was the thing that Candace Bergen said about the pilot too. That not only was it well written, but she just couldn't believe how it had so many... I mean, we're both actors. When you read something, you're like, this is perfect for me. These are things that I do. Um, The movie that Candace Bergman was nominated for an Oscar for starting over, she sings badly in. Yep. And it is (laughs) such a... Oh, God, that scene. Oh, my God, this is so funny. 
the best part of the scene also, I shouldn't say, is, is the fact that it's in a mirror. If anyone has not seen, you know, we'll put it in the show notes. We'll put yes. the clip in the show notes. Is, um, is, is Candace Bergen is just like singing the hell out of this with like the hand movements. And then in the same shot, because it's in a mirror, which was brilliant, you see Burt Reynolds' face of just like, what is happening? She's so, so in it. And it's that same abandon that she dances around singing Natural Woman in this living room scene. Which we all do. It's so charming. It's so relatable. I'm more of a lip synker, though, than I think a singer. Oh, but no. I mean, I, I, yeah. I'm more of a, I like to lip sync. And she doesn't know that Eldon Bernicke, the house painter she's been trying to get a hold of, is there currently painting in her kitchen. And multiple times he walks in, sees it, appreciates it, doesn't say anything, doesn't say anything. leaves. And then she... And then he eventually comes in to join her. I know with 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 the microphone as like his paintbrush. Yes. Like, how do you not think you're gonna scare the hell out of someone she's, when you do that? And she screams like a banshee. It's amazing. And he has been painting. Um, unfortunately, it's not what she asked him to, no. which is a, an ongoing theme with Eldon. Mm. Instead, he turned her kitchen into scenes of the Industrial Revolution. <laughs> Which I'm sure is the clean start she was looking for in this headgown. Like a cotton gin or something. Oh, I forget the line. It's wonderful. Now I just keep thinking of this one line that Bobby Robert Pastorelli said. It's from like the third season, but running amok in the pottery barn. I don't know where that just went into my head. His delivery is just Diane wrote this part for him. He guest yeah. starred on My Sister Sam, mm-hmm. and he's just a guest star, and mm-hmm. she just loved him so much, and she pretty much wrote the part for him. I mean, I'm sure he had to go through a lot of hoops. But just his delivery is fantastic. It's on paper, you would think it would not be one of my favorite lines. But when he goes, you were getting better at the end. At the end. It's so delightful. It's so Jersey. I'm from Jersey. It is. Oh, I love it. I will talk more about Robert Pastorelli. But I have a special love of him from obviously this show as a child. And then him in the movie A Simple Wish. Oh, you've mentioned that. I have not seen A Simple Wish. It is, it's him and Martin Short and I think Mara Wilson? Oh, Mara. Is it? Am I wrong? I think I'm right. It is Mara Wilson. And he's just a sweet single father who's trying to be like a Broadway singer. And so you get to hear him sing. And he's trying to get into a, a role in, I think, A Tale of Two Cities. But it's he's so loving, so lovable. I oh, He was such a wonderful actor. We love him. So, yes, we, we meet Eldon. It is lovely. We laugh. We cry. We feel things. And then she's brought back to Earth. It's such a mm-hmm. great ending, too. It's like, we don't know it yet, of course, but Eldon is going to be the one that's going to ground her. Yes. Is, you know... I, we I, don't know that yet. I think it takes three seasons for him to actually watch her on television Mm -hmm. because he doesn't care he doesn't care what i love about this ending is that it sort of sets up their relationship murphy and eldon we may not know it yet and she says something like you know you know 30 million people watched me on television tonight and he goes yeah i win 10 bucks at lotto (laughs) like it's like you know okay yeah you Mm -hmm. just took me down a peg you know it's not all about that um and it really is such a great bookend it just this, it immediately sets up their relationship. Yeah, and it but it's also a great bookend to the episode too. Oh, yeah. Yep. Like it just ah, oh, it's such a great pilot. It's it's genius. I there are very few shows that start this strongly. Very much so. And uh, and that's why I think you know it became a critical success, and you know the ratings were pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know they they got better as they went along, but it wasn't like 
fully square or anything oh, yeah. like that. Like this was this was going to be a hit. I think by the spring of the end of season one, mm-hmm. um, Candace Bergen as Murphy was on the cover of Newsweek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think for some people don't realize that nowadays we kind of with the right press team behind you you haven't even started your show and you're already on the covers of things. Mm-hmm. It's that people kind of lead early now with these cover stories, but then it was a big deal to already be cover art for a show. Yeah. And particularly like television shows were not on the cover of Newsweek. No, it wasn't that. From what I can remember. It wasn't that fancy to be a television star then. Now, I mean, we're really getting into an age of, we're getting back into kind of a golden age of television. Totally. But but then it, it wasn't, it wasn't the the publicity fodder that movies were. No. Mo- movie stars and movies, as we talked about in the last mm-hmm. episode, was just at a completely different level than it is mm-hmm. now. So, great. Anything that we missed, Jesse, that you'd like to talk about with oh. respect? Are we going to close the door on respect? I think we're... We, well, we'll never close the door on respect. Oh. But we'll, we'll close the door on respect the episode. <laughs> 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 Don't be mad. Just let it happen. <laughs> Lauren closed the door on respect. You I guys, just can't talk to her anymore. You heard it here. <laughs> Lauren's like, she's done with respect. I have no respect for anyone but myself. <laughs> and that's really shaky. You know what? We got to start somewhere. So yeah, that was that was season one, episode one, the pilot, the beginning of Murphy Brown as we know it. And on our next episode, we'll be talking about season one, episode two, is Devil with a Blue Dress. Correct. And we recommend that you go to our Murphy Brown Empowerment playlist and mm-hmm. listen to Devil in the Blue Dress, as well as all the other songs from and influenced by Murphy Brown. You can still give us a call on our voicemail and leave us a very brief message about what Murphy Brown means to you. We may include it on the show. Please do. We, we want to hear from you. We want to connect with our community. Yeah. And that's 646-450-6902. Or if you just want to record yourself on your phone and, and email it to us, you can. We're at murphybrownpod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. You can also find us on social media. Where can they find us, Jesse? Well, you can find us at the Twitter, at the Facebook, at the Instagram, at Murphy Brown Pod. Just Murphy Brown P O D, short for podcast. That is correct. Sure. Ding, 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 ding. You win a prize. Ding, ding. And just to confirm, I believe the next episode title is Devil with a Blue Dress on. And oh. the song is Devil with a Blue Dress. That is correct. We did not prep a well for this, did oh, we? Oh my goodness, we, we were, better get it right next we time. We were so excited. <laughs> Too excited. <laughs> we'll have it right for that episode. Maybe we should both wear blue dresses when we record the next one. I. How did you read my mind like that, Lauren? Because we're synced. We're so synced. We're Murphy Brown synced. <laughs> so we will see you then at the next episode of FYI. Yeah, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Lauren, I don't think you were ready. I was not ready.